Hello, everyone. Hi. Hey. Welcome. Welcome to 10 by 9 on Zoom. Well, there are my parents. Hello, parents. <laughs> nice to see you. Hello. Oh, Nina. Hi. Nice to see you. Uh, great. Good to see Don. Hello, Cassandra, Katie. If you, as you're joining, if you are willing to turn on your camera, it would be delicious for the storytellers so that they can actually see somebody reacting to them. Uh, if you can't, totally understand it, but it is really quite helpful uh, in this Zoom world to be able to see you. Um, we'll at least hope that there are 25 so that you can, in a gallery view, we can see 25 faces. Uh, welcome everyone to 10 by 9 Nashville on Zoom. My name is Michael McRae. I'm the host of 10 by 9 um, and have been hosting this for seven years. Today is our seven year anniversary of 10 by 9 Nashville. Uh, so we're very excited about that. Um, thanks to all of you who have been attending uh, for at least some of that time. I think Rob and myself are the only people who have been here since the opening night in September of 2013. Um, but uh, I know some of you have been with us for a few years, so I'm really grateful for your dedication to 10 by 9. Um, at the end tonight, I'm going to do like a, I have like five little slides that I'm going to show you just to kind of recap the last seven years and tell you like how many storytellers we've had, our collaborations, just as a little way of being cheers to us so stick around for that uh just to humor me really it's just for my own kind of benefit uh, that you stick around for that so um tonight our theme is nashville so we're gonna have six stories for you about uh things that have happened in nashville or um the story at least just has to have something to do with nashville uh if you've been to 10 by 9 in person you are probably expecting a two-hour event and you're expecting to hear nine people with up to 10 minutes each. Uh, online, it's different because no one wants to sit on Zoom, especially now that we've been doing this for six months of Zoom world. Uh, no one's gonna do that for two hours. So um, it's a one hour event. Uh, we have six storytellers and they have up to seven minutes each. So it's a little bit different, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, and there will be no break. We usually would do two breaks in a 10 by nine. There's no break today because it's just one hour. So we'll be done at eight o'clock uh, and you can get on with your, uh, with your evening. So um, I, oh, let me give you a quick heads up. I'm gonna ask you in a little bit um, to tell me, to be able to put in the chat box a two sentence story uh, that has to do with Nashville. I just want you to start percolating now. I'm gonna, after the first story, I'm gonna give you some more information, but you can start thinking now about a two sentence story about Nashville. All right, so uh, I think those are all the things I'm looking over my notes. That's all I wanted to tell you. At the end of the night, do stick around for not just the little kind of recap of the seven years, but also tell you what the next theme is uh, and when that theme is going to be. And you'll get to hear what we call the understory, where Rob McRae, who's also telling a story tonight, kind of gives us a recap of the whole night. So uh, hang around for that. Don't run as soon as it turns eight o'clock in case we're not done. We'll be done very soon. All right, we're going to get started now. So, oh, that's one last thing. Do remember that the storytellers actually, it's so different than in person where you, we could hear you laughing or engaging, things like that. In Zoom, it's all totally quiet, right? So that it's not chaos. So the storytellers will hear nothing from you. Um, so it's really great if you can give them some like happy faces or like <laughs> give some applause or snaps or give them something so that they can feel like they're not just talking to themselves at home alone, which is kind of what we're doing. So, uh, but we'll, we'll try to try to help this move a little more smoothly. So, all right, so we're going to move ahead. First up, Marianne Richmond is a longtime children's book author, still newish to Nashville. Besides her near romance with Keith Urban, her favorite Southern thing is Jenny's ice cream and politeness. 
This is her first story. Let's give some snacks, snaps for Marianne. <laughs> well, thanks everybody. I see some of my friends out there, so I love it. For his biggest fans, the email said, it was April 2018, just six months after moving to Nashville when I received a special invitation from Keith Urban and Spotify. A chance to attend a private event at a top secret location to celebrate the release of Keith's new album, Graffiti You. Fans will be treated to an exclusive first listen and an appearance by Keith himself. This was too good to be true. Keith was my crush, my longtime boyfriend, although he didn't know I existed, only that my avid listening boosted his local streaming data. Hell yes, I clicked. I didn't hesitate for a second, but truthfully wondered if I just agreed to something like the foreign lottery scam. But two days later, I got another email. I was in. Only in Nashville, said my envious friends about Keith's private party. I took my husband, Jim, as my plus one, and we drove to the address, slowly circling through the streets, looking for any indication that this was real. If I was making a fool of myself, my husband was gonna look stupid too. But sure enough, a line of 70 people waited for entry at this nondescript brick building and only one tiny little sign that said Spotify that told me I was in the right spot. A quick pat down from security and I was in. People milled about in the dimly lit space, free food, free drinks, free merch, a chance to sign my name on a guitar for Keith himself. Is he really gonna be here? I asked the other top fans. I still skeptically envisioned watching him on video with a chance to get concert tickets at a discount, like a, a sales pitch for a timeshare. But sure enough, three free glasses of wine later, I ditched my husband to push my way forward to a tiny stage where Keith himself appeared from behind a curtain to do a Q&A and sing in his tight black v-neck t-shirt, trademark work boots, fully tattooed, and his nice butt squeezed into tight Levi's. I forgot I was married. Keith started talking, rolling his shoulder, as he does, and talking more, I got impatient. Just sing already, I drunk blurted. The crowd hushed, stared at me, waiting for Keith Urban's reaction. He looked at me and smiled, tossed his bangs. Well, all right then, he said, launching into an acoustic version of parallel lines. I melted. We had connected. I was giddy. We would surely hang out sometime. 
Keith teed up his next tune, started talking, but then came a voice from the back. Just sing it already, a woman shouted. Everyone looked my way again. She stole your line, my indignant neighbor fumed. Who was this person infringing on my connection with Keith Urban? I'd recognize that voice anywhere, baby, Keith said. As the crowd parted to make way for his wife, Nicole Kidman, in her polka dotted dress. Then the two proceeded to sing a duet together, him inhaling the nape of her neck. I wasn't his new girlfriend after all. He was happily married to an Oscar award-winning actress. I was married for 28 years with four children. A few songs later, Keith wrapped things up, unplugging his gear. If he exited stage left, he'd walk right in front of me. I had one more chance to make an impression. He was walking my way. Can I have a selfie? I said, touching his sleeve. Sure, he said, patting his arm, putting his arm around me, automatically looking into the camera like he'd done for thousands of fans before. We didn't talk about my earlier wit or how we secretly loved each other. He was there and gone in a heartbeat. My drunk buzz was waning. I refound my husband. I've never seen you quite like that, he said. I hadn't either. On our ride home, I posted my selfie on Instagram and collected. Oh, where'd everybody go? Sorry about that. We can hear you. Okay, on our ride home, I posted my selfie on Instagram. Here it is. And I collected hundreds of likes and LOLs and only in Nashville's. I thought it was over. And then two days later, I happened to walk by my TV, keeping me company while I worked. And there was Keith again, sitting live on the Ellen show, telling her our story, but giving his wife all the credit. And then Nicole shouted, just sing it. Keith relayed to Ellen. Oh, that Nicole, Ellen laughed. Yes, that beautiful and talented Nicole. I framed Keith and I selfie and put it on my office desk. I had the line, but Nicole had my boyfriend, only in Nashville. Well done. Thank you, Marianne. Thanks for that story. I want to ask each storyteller a question afterwards. It'll be the same question, so you get, the, you get to go first. Uh, what place in Nashville are you most looking forward to visiting when it is safe to visit all of the places in Nashville? Oh gosh, I would say the listening room, my yoga studio, my friend Ellie's house. Uh, yeah, just get out and connect with people live. <laughs> Where's your yoga studio? What part of town? What part of town is your yoga? Um, I live in Franklin. So, okay. Oh, it's in Franklin? Yep, Great. Cool Springs, Franklin area. Fantastic. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, Marianne. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks. First story. All right, before the second story, let me give you a little more information about this, uh, this whole um, 
two sentence story idea. So the idea is quite what it sounds like. You're gonna tell me a story in two sentences. It has to have something to do with Nashville. Um, so here's here, and I want you to private message me and then I'll read them out at the end. So if you don't know how to private message me, you can open the chat box and then there's a little blue button uh, that will say everyone or someone's name. You can click it and click Michael McRae and then you can send me a private message. Um, let me give you an example of what this looks like. I'll give you two examples. So one is actually from Emma. She just put it in the chat box. So she's telling the story in a minute. A three hour float trip on the Harpeth River turned into a seven hour float trip. We missed the place to get off. Boom, whole story, two sentences, right? Uh, here's one that I wrote. <clears throat> we boarded the plane in Dublin for Nashville having finally finished our trip. As it happened, by the end of the flight, our relationship was finished too. Two sentences, there it is. So. That's what you're looking for. Two sentence stories on Nashville, if you have one. So you can private message me uh, and then we'll read them out at the end. Okay, great. So next up, Jackie Monroe is a full-time logistics coordinator, a wife of 34 years and a mom to eight great grown children. Oh, she's also a professional writer. She does not trust anyone who doesn't laugh. That seems, that seems safe. <laughs> uh, well done. This is Jackie's fourth story. Please welcome Jackie Monroe. Thank you, Michael. In the spring of 2008, we lived in Detroit, Michigan, and we had just started our family. And my husband came home with the rumor that he was being downsized. And a month later, that actually happened. We realized quite quickly that we were going to need some family support because I was going to have to go back to work. So we had three choices. We had family in Iowa which um, held no employment opportunities at the time. Um, and then we had California, which is where I'm originally from, and I still have family there. But we had lived there before, and my husband actually hates California. I hate to say it. He says that there's only fruits and flakes that live there. So that was not an option. But we also knew that we had family in the Nashville area now, I've never lived in the Nashville area, and I was kind of wary to go there because it was his family. And, um, but it, it, it turned out that we didn't have a choice. So we headed to Nashville, and uh, I wanted you to know that I've, I've moved over 30 times in my lifetime. And so I can get into a new community fairly quickly, slide myself in and make myself kind of anonymous, pick up the, the feelings of, of the culture in the community fairly quickly. But this was the first time that we were moving with children. And so I tried to prepare them quickly. We were moving into a smaller town south of Nashville, even though my husband and I would be working in Nashville. We thought that the smaller community south of Nashville, Columbia, um, which is closer to my in-laws, would be best place for them. We found a house and we moved into Columbia. I did know this about small towns. Most activities revolve around either the school activities or a church activity. And so when we would have conversations with people, I anticipated that we would have to answer one of three questions or all three. The first one being, why did you move here? And I instructed my children to tell them that we had moved from Detroit so that we could be near my husband's parents. 
second of all, the second question was usually something like, um, Uh, what church do you go to? And then the third one is, uh, what are your people? Who are your people? Well, on my father-in-law's side, we're related to the Demumbrians in Nashville. And so I instructed my children to tell them that. I, w I grew up in a very conservative family and I was raised Mormon, but had fallen away when I had married Ken. Ken was raised to be a Ford guy, and he proselyted quite often for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So we didn't really have a church that we would go to, and I was worried um, about the answer to this for my children. So I leaned into my sense of humor, and I instructed them to say that we were Druids, that we worship trees. And the girls really liked that because they would be Druish princesses then. So off we went to Nashville. Um, I thought that we were set and we moved in. And our first trip to the grocery store, I saw a couple of people that we knew that uh, we had been introduced to. And of course, here were the questions. As we entered the store, we were not prepared for what happened to us. We were definitely fish out of water. We saw one group of people and they all turned to us and went, hey, my children being from Detroit, probably the meanest place on earth besides Pittsburgh, I think, where we don't know our neighbors and we don't care to know our neighbors. My children were very frightened and have been taught stranger danger very, very well immediately glued themselves to me every time that it happened. We made our way up and down the aisles of Nashville and people were so friendly. Hey, they would say, hey. Finally, my oldest daughter was asked me, do you know that lady? And I would say, I, I have no idea who that person is. But we did meet up with the realtor that found us our house. And she was an older lady and she asked us, the three questions. So I was going to be a, a very good example for my children. We came here to get family support. Um, we don't have a local church, um, but we're Druish. And she said, oh, that doesn't matter. She says, we used to have a temple here in town, but nobody goes there anymore. There is a mosque though. You might check that out. As we made our way through Walmart, we tried to acclimate ourselves to the Nashville experience. People here are so friendly. We never expected to, to find so many friends. The only hiccup in moving to the Nashville area is we were trying to find the water department to get the water turned on. We went up and down the street, up and down the street, could not find the address, especially where it was supposed to be. Finally, I stopped at a gas station and asked for directions. When I came back out, my oldest said to me, do you know where you're going now? I said, well, if I can figure out where Nancy used to have her hair place, I think I can find it. And she told me it was just down a piece, and I'm not quite sure how long a piece is, but we did eventually find it, and we love the Nashville area. Um, my children are very fortunate to grow up here.
with a community that loves them. What amazes me is that in Detroit, no one really would care about my children, but if some, someone in one of my children acted up in school or got in trouble, I would know about it before the principal would call me just because of the mom network and the texting that would go on, which was a great asset for keeping track of children. I'm glad we moved to Nashville because I found that Nashville is a really great combination of the, my granola crowd from California and the conservatives that my husband really craves. After 15 years, I think that we are finally coming into being in Nashville, but we still have yet to find the mosque. Thanks. Well done, Jackie. <clears throat> The, mos the mosque is on 12th South, by the way, if you want to, if you want to go find it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so Jackie, when, uh, when COVID's done, where's one of the first places that you want to go in, in town? Um, in the second row, fourth across is my oldest daughter and I want to hug her. Oh, well, that's a beautiful answer. Uh, Thanks. Thank you, Jackie. Hopefully you get to do that soon. Oh, stupid COVID. Oh my gosh. Um, all right, so next up, um, I'm seeing a couple of folks who are sending in uh, two sentence stories in the, uh, in the chat box, so keep that up. Looks like we've got three so far, they're lovely, so keep sending them. Uh, next up, let's see here. Actually, no, before we do that, let me do a quick thing we've done before. I'd love to see where people are outside of Nashville. So if you are not from Nashville and you're on this call, will you put in the chat box now where you're calling in from? Uh, I would love to, to see who is calling in from the farthest. Huntsville, Alabama. Thanks, Courtney. Anyone beat Huntsville? What's that, about two hours away? Uh, Fort Lauderdale. Nice. Well, there, there's that. Great. Uh, yeah, Laura, fantastic. Kate Campbell, you're visiting Nashville. You're currently living in Oregon. Great. Wow. Anyone else farther than Oregon? Do we have anyone? Check in the chat box. Nope, I guess Oregon is the winner, although currently calling in distance is Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So uh, thank you so much, Laura, for being here. And thanks to Courtney. Thanks to all of you who are in Nashville as well for joining us. Uh, really happy that uh, someone just messaged me. Is it too late to send in a story? No, nope. send me your two sentence story. You can do that like up until probably 745. So uh, somewhere in there, we'll probably read them. So you've got time if you want to send one. Uh, great. Here we go. Uh, next up, Julie Corrigan is a native Nashvilleian living in Cool Springs. She's a retired counselor and is now a part-time mediator on Zoom. She's a loyal follower of 10 by 9. Oh, thank you for two years. Uh, this is Julie's second story. Here's Julie Corrigan. I remember exactly when I began to believe in the existence of evil. It was summer, 1968 in Nashville and I had just turned 11 years old. Up to that point, growing up in our quiet blue-collar neighborhood had been relatively uneventful. Historically, it had been a very dramatic year, including the murder of Dr. King, riots erupting in cities across the country, anti-war protests, and just days before, presidential hopeful Bobby Kennedy had been assassinated. I was certainly aware that really bad things were happening in faraway places. Walter Cronkite visited our living room nightly, 
reporting all the chaos and death tolls in Vietnam. But my personal radar was small and I felt cocooned in our safe little suburb where I rode my bike from early morning to after dark. Just a kid looking forward to the fifth grade with not much to worry about other than how to fill the long summer days. For no particular reason in the midst of all that year's unrest, my parents decided to take a weekend trip with their friends. My baby brother, just shy of two, went with them and they left me in the care of my teenage sister. My parents were both very hardworking people, my father an electrician and my mother a school secretary, so I'm sure they had earned a brief R&R. It was just that they had never left us on our own overnight before. I must have reached some level of maturity since they decided it was okay for me to stay behind. They took off on Friday night after dinner and planned to return Sunday afternoon. I watched Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show that night and then later fell asleep listening to Motown on my transistor radio. The next morning we woke early and realized we were out of milk or cereal or something equally as critical to us or maybe it was just an excuse for my sister to drive. We'd recently become a two-car family and at 16 driving was her way of showing off her independence. By 8 a.m. we were headed to Nolensville Road the street that led us everywhere in those days. Turning onto Edmondson Pike and traveling less than the length of a football field, we noticed strange activity near the last house on the left. Several police cars were in the driveway and bright yellow crime tape was strung between trees and the mailbox on the perimeter of the front yard. Items of clothing and other things we couldn't quite make out were laid out on the lawn. The front door to the house was propped open with cops going in and out. My sister had eased the car to a stop and we sat staring. We sat there wordlessly for several minutes until one of the officers sternly waved us on and we headed to the nearby grocery. 15 minutes later, we were returning home the same way and the scene was the same, except now the cops were picking through the items on the lawn and carefully placing them in plastic, clear plastic bags. Again, we slowed to a crawl, inching forward, trying desperately to take it all in and make sense of it. We couldn't tell what exactly, but something sinister had definitely happened at this modest house so close to our own. My sister, who typically played it cool and pretended to have everything figured out, was unusually quiet. I do remember that I was both terrified and fascinated by, the, by what I had seen that morning and didn't get much sleep that night. In my young, sheltered mind, I was imagining the types of violence I'd seen on TV crime shows. But nothing prepared me for the grisly details that would eventually unfold over the next few days and weeks. During the wee morning hours of June 15th, an intruder slipped into the basement owned by the young Bolt family. Bobby Bolt, 27, was asleep in the first bedroom his 23-year-old pregnant wife, Barbara, was asleep on the sofa in the adjacent living room. Their 18-month-old daughter, Dara, was asleep in her baby bed in the second bedroom. The intruder picked up an ax and two knives he found coming through their basement, removed his shoes, and crept up their stairs. Slipping first into the master bedroom, he killed Bobby with the ax. After that, he stabbed Barbara with one of the knives, raped her, and knocked her unconscious with the ax handle. 
baby Dara was beaten and left for dead. Barbara and Dara survived their injuries and Barbara gave birth to a baby boy several weeks later. The intruder left with Bobby's wristwatch and some old coins he found in their dresser. The watch, the coins, and Barbara's ability to identify James Thomas Jefferson three weeks later in a lineup led to his indictment. He received a life sentence for premeditated murder and died in prison in 2014. This heinous and gruesome crime and the fact that it happened so near to us when my parents were away would haunt me for years. At the time, I simply could not wrap my head around this horror story. What was Jefferson's motive? There was no mention in the papers of mental illness, drugs, or previous crimes he'd committed. My safe little world was upended that summer. The sadness I felt for those three strangers who lived less than a mile away cast a long, cold shadow. I thought a lot about Dara and the fact that she was the same age as my baby brother. Nightmares of shadowy figures creeping up basement stairs plagued me. It was unimaginable that one human being could shatter a young family with whom he had had no apparent grudge, had never even met. He walked away with a watch, some Liberty Dimes and Buffalo Nickels, all worth less than $20. The day before June 15, 1968, I would have bravely said, I'm too old to believe in monsters and the boogeyman. The day after, however, and to this day, I realized they walk among us. Wow, thanks for sharing that, Julie. Powerful story. Um, okay, so tell us, your, tell us your answer to the question. When COVID's over, where do you wanna go in Nashville? I miss live music. I would go to the Ryman Auditorium. Who, who are you hoping to see as soon as you're able? Oh my goodness. Um, Brandi Clark. I would like to see Brandi Clark because uh, she was supposed to either be there or uh, Third Lindsley or somewhere. So I would like to see a live music concert. Fantastic. Thanks, Julie. I'm going to use that as a segue into one of the two sentence stories uh, that I've been sent because it has to do with music. So um, Marilyn Austin writes, standing arm hairs touching Emmy Lou Harris and I wait for our artist passes for the Americana Fest. Later that weekend, I got to meet and hang out with Lucinda Williams. And then she adds, remember hanging out arm hairs touching distance with famous strangers? Uh, yes, as we all remember those days, uh, the glory days. Great, so there's another great two-sentence story. Keep them coming, I'm getting some great ones coming in. We'll read them throughout. Next up, Emma Haas is a market development representative for a healthcare company here in Nashville. She's the one woman show on Know What podcast. This is her first story, I think, because uh, she was supposed to tell a story in March, but that was the first one we had to cancel. So now this is her official first story at 10 by nine. Let's welcome Emma. It matters to me. It took a long time to get here, but if it would have been easy, I would not have cared. That was from my morning jacket song, Wonderful, off the album, Circular. And in 2011, when that came out, I was in college. And during that time, I was determined to move to Nashville. And that city, it offered more than just country music. But when the end of college approached, I was faced with disappointment because I had to move back to Missouri with my parents after not finding a job. 
Things began to look up when I began working as a freelance marketing consultant with Tim Nicholson. And then later I decided to give Purdue University's online master's degree program a try. That way, if I did find employment, I could pick up and move. When my graduation date of August 2017 was approaching, I tried to make Nashville a reality. My entertainment choices seemed to give a little hat tip to Nashville. Aziz Ansari's Netflix show had an episode where they visited Nashville. And Jason Isbell, he only named an album Nashville Sound. Around June, I had a few interviews lined up, and one was for a marketing position at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. And looking back, that trip was full of stuff that a non-Nashvillean does, like get pictures with the angel wings, and primarily stay downtown. Okay, slight spoiler. But a few weeks approached, and I thought, Vanderbilt, they probably forgot about me because the other place sent me a rejection letter. And on July 7th, I was going to make another trip to Nashville for an informational interview. My brother Clay was going to join along for that trip because my morning jacket, they were playing with Margot Price later that day. My informational interview, I just felt like it was a failure. And when I entered the hotel room, Clay said, how did it go, Em? Are you ready to go? I lied and I told him that it went well. And then Tim, my boss, he emailed me that I had some brief edits that I had to make. And as I sat at the hotel desk, I thought, I pretty much imprisoned my brother on a getaway from Missouri with my work. And while looking up places on Master of None, Clay discovered that Manuel, the, ja the jacket store that was on Master of None, was not far from our hotel. It was the perfect way to reenact disease at the store with the jackets. Clay reminded me, these aren't just any jackets. Then I posed for a picture in a long red coat. Then when it came time for Clay's picture, the staff came up and asked, hey, how can I help you? Clay and I just looked at each other like we weren't celebrities on the pictures and the wall. And we just like said, oh, we just came in here because we saw a master of none, scared and in unison. And the associate said, that's pretty funny because we've never had anyone come in and that is so awesome that you guys made that your trip. Quick change of energy. So then we headed off like senior citizens to dine early at Puckett's before the show. After the excitement of trying on Jackson and up jackets and then seeing the lights of Nashville, I sat down drinking out of a mason jar feeling like a job just won't come. So my brother, he broke the silence with a bet that we always do before concerts of what songs would be played. And then later we decided to start a video that was just released of Sabotage mashed up to the Sesame Street characters. Abruptly, after, whenever we started the video, it abruptly stopped because there was an incoming phone call from the medical center's HR director. Then the volume in the restaurant suddenly increased. I immediately chose to go to the worst place, outside, right across from the construction of the 505 building, where horns were honking and it just seemed like everyone in Nashville, except Larisha, had gotten the memo at five o'clock, came early. She then offered me the position where I did not care what time of day it was. 
As the next steps were told, I couldn't hear her. So I then ran inside the entry and I pressed my hands as tight as I could up to my head to block out the noise. I, was, uh, I explained to her that I was elated, but I was away from my computer and that since the weekend was near, I would follow up on Monday. I darted back to the table and Clay looked up. Em, did everything go okay? We have to take a shot, I said all wide-eyed. What? Clay said, I got the job, Clay. And then Clay, he went along for my celebration like it was planned. While sitting in our seats at Ascend Amphitheater as the sun went down on the skyline of my new residency, I couldn't believe it. I tried not to bore my brother about this being my new town. Margot Price played, and during that time, I thought, we share the same hometown. I didn't think about the fact that when moving to a new city, it involves hanging out with the shitty, okay, and cool people until you find your crab. The way I felt, it was wonderful. I slightly headbanged to Circular, and then wonderful came one. The coolness of the night had struck. It was wonderful, wonderful the way I felt. My brother, he put his arm around my shoulder and we swayed from left to right. And front man, Jim James, he pointed out in the middle of the song to look behind us at the full moon. And it seemed like he changed up the lyrics of the song with the lyrics, you know, for some of us, Nashville is home. And I knew I was exactly home. Thank you, Emma. Thanks so much for that story. It's fun to get to see all the places in Nashville in my mind again. Ugh. Yeah, sorry, so I, I either disappointed you or I made you like miss it, so. I missed it, I missed it, so it worked. Uh, so where are you wanting to go as soon as we we're able to go anywhere? Well, Julie kind of said two of mine and I wrote it down beforehand. I really miss concerts, so if I had to go Basic, I would say the Ryman, but I really miss Third and Lindsley. Oh, fantastic. Third and Lindsley's great. Now, we actually had a 10 by 9 scheduled at Third and Lindsley with Martina McBride. I remember that. And of course, it was canceled because of COVID. Ugh. So uh, great. Thank you so much, Emma. Appreciate it. Um, so real quick, before we keep going, I'm looking at the time. We're going to go a little bit past eight. That's the way this night's going to go. I hope you can stick around a little bit past the hour, but we're having such great stories. And you all are flooding the chat box with two sentence stories. Last time we had two people respond. Uh, so I did not account for the time that it'll take to share these. So, but that's really great. So I'm going to share a couple now as we go uh, before uh, I introduce the next storyteller. This is from Maggie Harris. I dreamed that a whale slid up the seawall and lay her giant cheek against my tiny one. Yes, I said to myself, I am leaving California and moving to Nashville. There's Maggie Harris. Well done, Maggie. Uh, Ellie Haddad. <clears throat> I moved to Nashville to attend college. First semester, I made the dean's list and became, became a grandmother. Ellie Haddad, well done. Uh, and one more before we keep going, <clears throat> Shauna Teasdale. We came back from South Dakota just to hear some bluegrass. We came back for good because the music was great and we'd fallen in love with our Shoney's waitress. Thank you, Shauna. Thanks to all of you who are sending in these two sentence stories. We have more to come. All right, uh, don't forget to stick around again for the uh, recap of the seven years and to, uh, to hear Rob's understory. 
But speaking of Rob, next up, Rob McRae was a pastor for over 30 years and walked through end-of-life decisions and experiences with many families. Tonight, he shares some of the story about his own father, who passed away two years ago after a long struggle with Alzheimer's. Tonight, Rob is telling his 28th story at 10 by 9. So let's welcome Rob McRae. My brother David came out of my parents' bedroom with tears in his eyes and just shook his head. We knew what that meant without any words. The clock had just started on our father's final hours. All of dad's decisions had already been made and the signed DNR, the living will, the final directives, the medical power of attorney, there were to be no interventions, none. No trips to the ER, no procedures, no tubes, no resuscitations, no IVs. He didn't even want any antibiotics. We were to do nothing to extend his life. Only comfort care, that's all. When my dad's mother had died of Alzheimer's, dad watched the way his mother passed away, wasting away from the disease. And he told us all he did not want to die that way. He said if he ever got Alzheimer's, he wanted us to take him to Bethlehem and point him to the Judean desert and let him start running. And he wasn't really kidding. A few years later, dad watched very brave death when my grandfather, his father-in-law, passed away in his living room on the couch with his family gathered around him after he had decided to stop his dialysis. That confirmed my dad's decision about how he wanted to die. 17 years ago, dad was told he had Alzheimer's, like his mother before him. So my parents moved here to Nashville to be close to family, and the conversations became even more pointed. We felt we were prepared. Dad also had heart disease. Some 30 years ago, he had quadruple bypass surgery, and since then, he'd had stents and a pacemaker. There was no way his heart was going to hold out much longer. So we began to pray his heart would take him mercifully. How do you pray for your father to have a heart attack? But where his mother's illness lasted only a year or two after her diagnosis, dad's lasted more than 15 years. Slowly, he continued to weaken and fade. He still knew us and would say a few things, but mostly he'd sit in his recliner and watch old westerns, usually with the sound off. And I missed him, even when I was with him. And this was the fate he had asked us to spare him. We couldn't take him to the Judean desert, could we? It's what he told us to do, but he couldn't remember that anymore. 
Then one day while David and I were both out of state on trips and my brother Barry was at his home near Chicago, something happened that somehow we had not anticipated. Dad's bladder stopped emptying, probably from a prostate problem, and he was in pain. And despite all our conversations and preparations, we weren't ready for this. We hadn't engaged hospice yet. We didn't have the pain medicines we needed. David and I couldn't get back in time. We hadn't even talked about this possibility. Who dies because they can't pee? You insert a catheter. It's standard care. It's palliative. It's what everybody does. Dying this way would be painful. We talked it over by phone. The only thing for my mother to do was to take him to the ER. The one thing dad had told us not to do. But now the countdown had begun. We had a specific decision to make and some time to make it though we didn't know how much. We talked in uncomfortable detail about how this would play out. Eventually, the catheter would have to be replaced. It would either malfunction or would get an infection, or it would be time to replace it to avoid getting an infection, or he would accidentally pull it out, which dementia patients often do. If his bladder was still obstructed, then we would have to decide whether to put in a new catheter. Everyone would. It's palliative but it's not what dad would have wanted, and we knew it. So this time we would be ready. We called a live hospice and the nurse came and gave us what we needed, the, the doctor's authorization for hospice, supplies, in-home care, and the pain medication. Then one day the call came. Mom called to say that dad was not voiding bag was not filling. Dave and I hurried to the house. We called Barry in Chicago and talked it over again. We were all in agreement. David is a doctor, so he went in with the hospice nurse to remove the catheter. If dad voided on his own, then he no longer needed a catheter, and the long journey would go on. But if he did not void, when David walked out of the room and shook his head, we knew that the clock had started. A couple of days, then it would be over. The family gathered quickly from Chicago, Florida, New York, Virginia for the final vigil. Barry gave dad the morphine whenever he seemed to be hurting. It was an act of love and penance for not taking him to the desert. Two days later, dad died peacefully in his bed with his family around him. It's what he wanted, finally. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you sharing that story with us. Okay, where do you wanna go when this is all done? to your house to see my nephew. That's right, I was hoping you were gonna say it. That was the <laughs> perfect answer. Uh, I have a five month old baby who's sleeping upstairs for those who don't know. And uh, 
Uh, Rob's only gotten to see him from a distance twice, uh, so he hasn't gotten to hold him yet. So we're, we're hoping that that day comes soon enough. Uh, great. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate you sharing that story with us. All right, so I'm now going to read you the rest of the two-sentence stories, uh, and then we'll have our final storyteller, and then we'll, we'll begin to wrap up the evening. This is from Susan Metter. <clears throat> I'm a na native Nashvilleian, an anomaly these days, but I was born in Princeton, New Jersey. This was simply a mistake and a story for another day. Susan Metter, thank you, Susan. Uh, Cassandra Monroe writes, <clears throat> when my family drove around Detroit, we would enthusiastically wave and call greetings to people we would see sitting outside of their houses to laugh at their confused faces as we drove by. When we moved to Nashville, people enthusiastically wave back. There's Cassandra. <clears throat> well done. Here's Adam Hill. <clears throat> Hopefully I can, yeah, great. A once in a lifetime perk of a legal job in the summer of 2008 led to a private tour of the state capitol's upper rotunda where we could write our names into the rotunda stones just underneath the place where they hoist the flags over the capitol. We went up with the curator himself and defeated 400 wooden steps before I had the chance to put my name there only to see my name, Adam Hill 08, already there and huge scrawl across the stones. <laughs> God, what a deflating story. <laughs> Thanks, Adam, it's amazing. All right, David Hutchins. Hey, David. The FBI came from Quantico to search for a body in our yard. They never found one. God, that's very eerie, David. Uh, I hope there actually wasn't one uh, that they didn't find. Um, great, Mara Summers started a hike up the Percy Warner steps on a sunny afternoon. Clouds came. We got drenched in a huge downpour. Had to go to Kroger on the way home, and my shoes went squish squish down the aisles. Well done, Mara. Thank you. Uh, Ty Powers. <clears throat> The Sonic on Murfreesboro Road was where my 98-year-old grandma informed me that my middle brother was the good-looking one. Why would you tell the ugly one that? <laughs> Thank you, Ty Powers. Ah, these are so much fun. Uh, Alicia Handy. <clears throat> when I was in high school, my mother was the drug and alcohol counselor for the Nashville-Davidson County Juvenile Court System. It didn't matter what part of town our family went to for dinner. Inevitably, some teenager would yell, good news, Mrs. Handy, my pee test was clean. I'm off probation across the restaurant. <laughs> That's Alicia Handy. Uh, looks like we've got three more. Don Bennett, the downtown Presbyterian, or excuse me, the down Presbyterian bridge, no, the pedestrian bridge. The downtown pedestrian bridge is a lovely place to take in the sights and sounds of Nashville. Turns out it is also a great place to officiate an August wedding and rally up strangers who snap pictures and give flowers to the new brides. Fantastic. Although now I want there to be a, a Presbyterian bridge. I think that would be amazing as well. Um, all right, um, Laura uh, Ducks, how do you say, oh, Laura, how do you say your last name? Duxta? Unmute yourself, tell me. Are you here? Duxta, yeah, Duxta. Fantastic. Thanks. I fell in love with Nashville in Key West. During a solo trip to the Songwriters Festival, I found my people, creative, loud, crazy, connected, and my love affair with Nashville began. Thank you, Laura. Great, and then the final one, 
Here we go. Rachel Ford gives us our final two sentence story. I'd never publicly flipped off anyone, but then I got stuck behind a pedal tavern on a Wednesday morning on my way to work. Since I have proudly given the bird to many a drunken bachelorette party. <laughs> and that is your Nashville two sentence story. Give a round of applause for everyone. Thank y'all so much for sending those in. That was fantastic. If I somehow missed yours, there was there are a lot of comments there, then uh, just send me a message and I'll see it and uh, and we can uh, we can read it. And can we give some snaps for all of our storytellers tonight? Amazing, you can see all the snaps there in the videos. Thank you all so much for doing that. That is our seven year anniversary theme, uh, our night of stories. Rob's gonna give us the understory in just a second. Um, I was gonna show you some slides, but we're short on time. So I'll just kind of recap it for you. Um, we, in the seven years that we've been running 10 by nine, since September of 2013, we have 78 consecutive monthly events. <laughs> The consecutive monthly event streak ended in February, right before COVID. And uh, ironically, our theme that night was letting go. Um, and the, the theme that we had planned for March was on the edge. So maybe we knew something. Um, so we have now uh, all in all run 90 events, run 90 10 by nine events in the last seven years. Um, we have done 13 collaborations, including Parnassus Books, Gideon's Army, Vanderbilt, The Porch, Black Abbey, Turk, uh, the Music Kitty Cat Cafe. That was an interesting one. Uh, Team Music is Love with Martina McBride's charity, uh, Meharry Medical College, all kinds of great stuff. Uh, in the last seven years, we have had 7,500 people in the audience. Um, we have told 770 stories uh, at 10 by nine. Uh, and those stories came from 346 individual storytellers. So some snaps all around for you all for, for showing up and telling stories. Uh, thanks to the 10 by nine team for helping me keep this going for the last seven years. Um, we are actually also going to not do another consecutive event. We're gonna take a pause from the online events. Um, we will be planning on coming back to 10 by nine in December. So we're gonna take a little bit of a break. So here's our next theme. Uh, our theme will be holidays, uh, and we'll be back on December the 14th, 7 p.m., just the same, on Zoom, uh, a one-hour event. Uh, so our theme is holidays. If you happen to have uh, a, a story, true story from your life that has anything to do with any holiday, it doesn't have to be Thanksgiving or Christmas, which is where we cushion this event, uh, but it could be any holiday, or it could also be about going on holiday, if you like to use the, like, the British expression. So it could be about a vacation, going on holiday, and it could be about watching the movie. Uh, so anything that has to do with holidays uh, will be great. So I've just put in the chat box, you can go, go to our website, 10by9nashville.com, uh, and you can send us a story by clicking on the contact tab or just going to 10by9nashville.com slash contact. Um, in the meantime, between now and December, I'm gonna try to kind of do a little bit more on Instagram. I'm gonna try to share out maybe every couple of weeks, maybe once a month, I'm not sure, a story prompt and invite you to either do a two sentence story or to record yourself telling a three minute story, tag 10 by nine, we'll share it on our Instagram page. So if you're not following us on Instagram or Facebook, please go ahead uh, and do that. It would be great for you to be able to stay in touch with us. Uh, I think that's all that I want to share with you now. Rob, are you good? Great, okay, here's Rob McRae with your understory. Tonight, Nashville, we were in Nashville. We found our way 
to the secret Nashville location and ditched hubby to get closer to his tight Levi's. His Oscar-winning wife stole our line and our moment. But we got a drunk buzz and a selfie. We moved to, Nash to the Nashville area and said we were downsized Druid Demumbrians from Detroit. We still can't find the mosque, but we love being down a piece from Nancy's hair place. Assassinations and riots and wars were in faraway places and kept evil far from our safe Nashville neighborhood. Until crime tape and bags of evidence and the grisly details. Now we are haunted by the horror story and the monsters among us. We were sure our interview was a failure. We tried on the not just any jackets and saw the lights and in the middle of the crowds and construction, we could barely hear the good news. And now Nashville is our home. Our father came to Nashville to be with us on his final journey, from dementia to final directives, to bladder problems, to hospice, to a catheter choice no one makes but it was a more rational choice than the desert. Our maiden trip to Nashville followed a blizzard and delays and misconnections and a goodbye and a red eye. Grief and exhaustion and indie all night ruined our trip to a place we would never revisit. But here we are, Nashville. Well done, Rob. Everybody give it up for Rob McRae for our understory. Rob, thank you so much for giving us the understory year after year. Um, thank you all so much for coming. Thanks to our storytellers. That's our night. We'll see you on December 14th for the theme holidays. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with our story prompts. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That's us, friends. Thanks for listening to our stories. A special thanks to all the storytellers and to the 10 by 9 team the understorier, Rob McRae, the editor, John Sloop, and our podcaster, Gayathri Narasimham. We'd love for you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at 10x9Nashville, and hop on over to our website, 10x9Nashville.com, to keep up with the events, the past stories, and to peruse our tips for how to be a good storyteller. I'm your host, Michael McRae, and remember, everybody has a story. Music